All right, well, let's get into it. Today, guys, we have Spencer back. You are probably the only other person that's really come back besides Garza has been on twice. Yes. I Somehow, he finagled his way back here twice. Always appreciate having him, but... We're gonna talk. Um, we're gonna talk for a little bit, and then probably get into conspiracy stuff. I wanted to give a quick disclaimer: this is entertainment only. <laughs> it may get a little crazy. This is a comedy podcast. We are just laughing. Some of it may get out of hand. Don't take it too seriously. Not all of these. Not all of the things that I'll say are going to be hills I'll die on. They're just fun things. I keep an open mind about things. I like to. Hear out people if they have an a honest, reasonable take on things, and I get pretty deep into the conspiracy stuff. It's um, it's it's a uh, it's a fun world. If people don't believe it, I want to kind of re- figure out why. Yeah, it's also fun to like psychologically troll an idea, right? Where you play devil's advocate or you try to play the counter argument, and I think that's what makes conspiracies fun, regardless of the magnitude, you know, how small or big the idea is, whether it's the moon landing, flat earth, or down to do chewing your fingernails really short in your life expectancy. You know, it's like we're going to probably try to land somewhere in the middle on our first conspiracy podcast on um, the Baghetti podcast, you know. So it's going to be fun. And like Cooper said, we've done limited to minimal research on these things, enough to get somebody in the comments engaged that might know more than us. And that's kind of the idea is get people engaged in the content, giving us more ideas on what, you know, somewhat controversial things we can talk about. I think this is going to be a good one. Yeah. I think it's going to be a lot of fun once we get into that. uh, Because there's a lot of uh, really deep ones. I like the photo of the iceberg, you know, everybody kind of starts at the top there and then way at the bottom, you're talking about crazy, crazy, crazy things. Yeah. Like, even, like, the whole simulation stuff is fun, you know, aliens, pyramids, all those fun things. But those are a little basic. Yeah. They get really crazy. Dude, I, I already want to add on to that, but let's wait to get to the conspiracy stuff. Let's get caught up. I mean, first thing I want to say is congratulations on the new studio. I know you've done um, several podcasts in the new studio, but since I'm a second-time comer, I've been fortunate enough to see the yes. first rendition. And, and to watch this channel grow and to have the viewers just – um, join in and be a part of this for you is awesome. So I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm excited for you. And I can't wait to see where this goes over the next 5, 10, 15 years. It's Dude, exciting. thank you, man. You're welcome back. Any freaking time, anytime some cool stuff is going on in your life, I'd like to have you back on and hear about it and hang out because that's the long-term goal for this is where all my friends can come hang out and talk and publicize things and do cool stuff. And that's the goal. So thank you for coming on again, and thank you for that. Absolutely, man. Well, let's get into it. Yeah, so what have you been up to lately? You just moved. I did. Um, I, aviation stuff still. Yeah, so about the moving, I bought my very first home. And at the age of 31, um, it seems like I th- I felt like I was a late bloomer in that aspect. I had moved to Seattle, Washington in 2017, And I had enough income, more or less, to be able to acquire a home. However, where I lived and being new to a state, the homes I could afford were in areas where I didn't think my lifestyle would be able to reach its maximum um, fund capacity. So instead, I rented a condo in downtown Seattle, which was a lot of fun, but very expensive. And so that definitely set back the clock on being able to acquire a home. And so when I moved down here, I met my beautiful wife. Um, She had been fortunate enough and and wise enough to purchase a home at a young age. And so 
Um, luckily, we had a home we could live in, but uh, we very we quickly outgrew it, and it came time for Spencer to put his big boy pants on and, and really purchase a home. So I've, I've done that. Um, it, it's it's a, I'm, I'm in love with it. We've been pouring our heart and soul into it. It's crazy. You buy a, a big old house, and, and you immediately start dumping money into it to make it your own home. So it takes time, but that's probably the biggest thing in my life, getting floors, paint, um, you know, redoing things in the kitchen. And uh, it, my wife is amazing at interior design, so I, I'm grateful because that is not my yeah. realm. <laughs> that is that is convenient, but then also the double-edged sword of that because then she's always, oh, let's do this next and that next. Like, Bronte is pretty undecisive on things. Mm-hmm. So, like, she wants to do all these things, but she doesn't have a clear vision or decision. So I can always be like, ah, you, it's fine. Yeah. Because <laughs> she's not, like, if, you, if you're not fully committed, you can kind of push back on it a little bit. True. True. I have a lot of trust and faith in my wife in that if she says it's the design, it's the design. I just got to show up and <laughs> yeah. unpack it when it arrives and build it, you know? What were your thoughts on buying a home in Florida, Bradenton specifically, at what is probably close to a peak? Oh, yeah, I'm peak market guy. And so I know we talked a little bit about money and finance on the last podcast, which is a realm I'm very comfortable with. Um, yeah, it was a tough decision, Cooper, because when I moved here in 2020 and the home market was extremely buyer-friendly, um, yes, there was... Uh, you know, a lot of bidding wars on homes. However, the price of the homes and the price of money was very good when I first moved here. Homes that I looked at at that time when I was temporarily living with Garrett have gone up 30, 40% in value, those same homes. And so um, it was tough to look at it and be like, damn, I'm the schmuck. I'm buying a home at the peak of the market. But I think one of the reasons it took me a little longer was because I wanted to do it right. So saving up and a lot of cash to be able to put down on the home. I mean, I think we put over 21, 22% down on the home. That's the only way I was willing to do it. I wasn't willing to play PMI. I didn't want to be in a position where any sort of law or politician could be elected. And then it immediately affects me and my family's wealth accumulation techniques. That was out of the question. So to put enough down so that way the market could correct 15% tomorrow. And I still have positive equity in my home. I could still sell and I could still walk away with additional cash. For me, it's the same way I try to buy newer vehicles. Put a chunk of change down. You do not want to leave that dealership paying gap insurance. And then total your car, as I very well am capable of. I've seen me do it. (laughs) And then now you're paying the loan company to get out of your totaled car before you can go acquire a new vehicle. So, um, yeah, being a a buyer at the peak of the market, I mean, my finance rate, man, we're talking 7.5, 7.8, somewhere in there. I can't remember, but... The money was expensive. That same house with a three years ago finance rate would have been $2,000 less on the mortgage a month. And yeah. it hurts knowing that. But And that's to the bank. To the bank. Of, yeah. Like yeah. that's not like that is money to the bank a lot of that. Like even my house, we've talked about it. We're like, oh, you know, downsize. And like I just rent a shop somewhere. And then I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be spending more to downsize. Yeah. I would legitimately spend more money right now to downsize my house. Correct. But I love your house because you bought right. You bought great. I mean, you were buying 2020. You actually bought right before I moved here. 19. Right? 2019. And then I moved here in yep. in spring, March of 2020. So you were fresh in the home, but you got in great. It's like, like you said, you have equity in this home. The property values have increased drastically. You're paying down your principal. And so what's interesting about 
my finance rate and the loan rate, something that my wife and I have decided to do um, that I think is smart is any improvement or modification or renovation we're doing to the home, anytime we complete a project, our rule is before we can spend more cash on the next project is we have to make one additional principal payment mm. prior to the next beginning. Yeah. So we just finished full interior paint from baseboards all the way to the ceiling fan. Like everything was painted. That finished yesterday. I wrote the check. It's done. But now before I do the floors, which will be happening in the next two, three weeks, I have to make another principal payment to the mortgage. And that's going to help me justify dumping cash into the home. Because one thing as a new homeowner that many people probably know this, it's new to me, but when I do floors and paint in my house and I change the color of the countertops, the next person that buys my house does not care. I'm building it for my personal preference. So when you're just doing a bunch of, you know, fifty to $100,000 of modifications to your home, that's not something you get dollars back on when it comes to sell. Mm-hmm. One of the ways you do get dollars back or increase value in your home is adding usable square foot, add a bathroom, add a bedroom, add an office. Those things actually add value to the home. So it's interesting. I didn't want to just dump in all these things that are like custom to me. Let's translate this to the car world. When you put certain things on your car, let's talk about American Force wheels for a second. When you put them on your truck, it doesn't make your truck more valuable. You've got $8,000 in wheels. However, your truck is still a 120,000-mile whatever. And so it's kind of one of those things, like the next buyer of your truck has no interest in American Force wheels. That's something you may not get your value back on. Although they do have value, take them off and sell them separately. But that's kind of what I'm getting into. Well, if you plan on living there for the extent of your mortgage and, you know, even beyond, like, my house, I may be in it for the next 30 years. It doesn't matter if I redo the bathroom right now. Because in 30 years, that ain't going to matter. It'll it's going to need to be redone again. Exactly. If I do the kitchen, it doesn't matter because the next owner, owner the fridges and stuff, are nowhere near going to be the same. <laughs> yeah, you're totally right. And that's exactly where I'm going. It's like, you can make your home yours. It might look more aesthetically pleasing if you mm-hmm. show it and stuff because it might be in with the times or a more trending look. That being said, same thing with your car, man. You can do some modifications to your car that really don't add value. You're not going to get your money back. Let's take Parker, for example, right? Dr. Parker, teeth really and turbos. Took a bath on that one. Beautiful race car. He built it for what his needs are. But And we know this going into it. It's not an investment. It's a hobby, and it's more an addiction. We need help. We need a group of people we can discuss our addictions with. Yep. But that's what car and drag racing and drifting and all those things are. You know, he's he's got a beautiful drag racing car for sale. You guys should check it out, Teeth and Turbos. If uh, I was to make a prediction on that, he's going to end up parting it out because you will do better parting it out. I, I think the buying a completed race car market right now is horrible. I don't think anybody's going out there dropping sixty grand on a race car. I think it – it's alluring for people to build a race car because you buy over time. People do a firm. You'd be surprised how many people have turbos right now that are a firm and they're paying it off slowly. It's it's so difficult because no bank's loaning you that money. You're not spending sixty grand on a race car, but you could pull the motor out, get fifteen. You could mm. sell the turbo, get whatever three grand. You could do the parts and then just be done with it. It sucks to do. But I know a lot of people that are sitting on race cars that are great deals, and they're not moving. 
Yeah. It's tough. Like, take a guy like me. Let's say I had the 60 lying around and I wanted to get into drag racing. It's kind of hard for a guy that's never made a single pass to go buy a car that's, I mean, I may be wrong, but I'm not sure how fast Parker's car is, but I think it's in the eights. It's a fast car. It's been sevens. Okay. Yeah. In the se- so a guy like me, should I go spend that money and then try to make a seven or tune it down, you know, pull some timing out and make it a little slower or run less boost? And go slower, yeah, but that's a very quick fat pass for someone with no experience to go down the drag strip. Like, I wouldn't want to be there if I was watching me make my rookie pass in an eight-second, seven-second car. So, again, like you said, to go out there and buy $60,000 for the parts, unless a guy's like, oh, I could part that out, let me buy that yeah. car for the 55 60 grand, I'll just make some extra cash on the side by parting this out over a four-, five-, six-month period. And I talked about, I talked to James about that. I was like, it was probably 2021, right at the end of 2020, where I was like, man, like, parts suppliers are done right now. Like, they're, nobody's getting parts. Nobody can find parts. I was like, you could buy cars and part them out oh, really efficiently right now. You're and right. there was, like, a two-year gap that that was a really good move. Mm-hmm. And I think now we're kind of getting it out of that because I think you're going to be sitting on parts a little bit longer than you'd like to be. But in, like, peak everybody's at home and the manufacturers aren't, you know, making parts, you could have really made a come up off of that. If you had the space to store parts, you had the ability to ship parts and you had the ability to take cars apart and correctly price things. Yeah. And it's not even just that. I think coming from, I used to work in a dealership for Ducati and BMW and I was the parts department manager to be able to inventory and part number and know that year ranges that that part is applicable to mm-hmm. is very valuable. And so I'm going to plug, you know, just a place. I have an OBS Ford, and there's a place in Florida called OBS Chop Shop. And I follow them on Facebook, and it's remarkable the OBSs they find fully intact that a guy like me, an enthusiast, would be like, man, I would happily pay fifteen, eighteen thousand dollars $18,000 for that truck. Guess what? They do not sell fully built jobs. Yeah. They sell frames, cabs, hoods, intakes, ECMs. They part these things out and they're used parts. So like a guy like me looking for um, a part that's no longer manufactured, they don't even have NOS stuff anymore. They're making a great killing on this by buying these, parting them out. And you're right. There's definitely more money in there, but it's a hustle. It's a, it's a job. They probably yeah. have five, six acres of everything to sell there's a big market for that and i don't know where you'd sell it you'd have to either hustle on facebook marketplace you'd be like you'd be like gary v hustling freaking go to a yard sale <laughs> yeah yeah garage sale uh in in but look at all these nintendo 64 games i bought for 12 dollars. if you're not there 52 weeks out of the year selling garage sale stuff i don't care if you live in the dead of winter state <laughs> walking around yeah, yeah. You got to do like an endless summer following the garage sales around the world. (laughs) Yeah. So I think that's a big, that would be a great business for somebody to be in is buying these. You just, you would need the capital of one first race car. Mm -hmm. And I think you can kind of keep rolling with that. But eBay is even cracking down on selling non-emission compliant parts. Frick. Like people that are selling long tube headers and exhaust systems and like, 
handheld tuners that really don't do anything. But if you're like 16 years old, you think that you just did something. Hey, I had one of those. <laughs> I had one too. That's why I know from experience. <laughs> I thought I got all 30 horsepower it told me I got. And then you drive it on that first drive and you're like, I can feel it. Man, oh man, there's so much more power just because now you're wide open throttle. Yeah. Like 98% of the time you've driven your daily driver, you're probably not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so then you feel the power and you think that you're doing something. Yeah. But then um, aviation stuff, how's that been going? Um, it's been going. There's been uh, some – I've been doing a lot of learning um, there in, in the aspect of, you know, what um, – how I have flown has created learning opportunities for myself. So to constantly be humbled by how you fly puts me in a position where, you know, aviation is a lifelong thing and, and you can always be learning. So, um yeah, aviation's been interesting for me. I'm very fascinated by it, very addicted to it. it. It makes up a lot of my social media content as far as what I consume. Um, but yeah, I think from the scope of just being able to be humbled by things in the, you know, just basically remembering you don't know everything. And so um, I've learned some good lessons lately that have, are going to help me become a better long-term lifelong pilot. So. Yeah. Have you ever had to return a forgotten bag of adult play toys to a pair of sweet old grandparents? Or have you spent your summer cleaning up protein spills at an amusement park? How about going to work every day in a flea-infested casino? Hopefully you haven't, but our guests have. Welcome to the Insiders Podcast. Each episode, we bring you an explicit account from a hotel and hospitality industry insider. To listen to these stories and more, go to theinsiders.com to subscribe. That's the Insiders, I-N-N-S-I-D-E-R-S.com. Yeah, I've, mm-hmm. I've I've really liked the fixed wing stuff. Watching that, I, yeah. I, I I don't know. I feel like I would much prefer fixed wing if I was going to do anything. Even Bronte always is like, "Do you want to get your pilot's license?" I'm like, "Not, not helicopter." Yeah, I could see myself doing fixed wing. Well, a couple good things about fixed wing: far less expensive, uh, accessibility of certified flight instructors yep. is far higher. Accessibility of planes to rent and train in far higher cost of insuring fixed wing aircraft far less there are some things that allow fixed wing to be a much better entry point the only reason i got into rotorcraft first was because of my circle of influence you know Uh, with some of the people that i know that own and fly helicopters it was very fascinating very quickly also for me though i grew up around fixed wing but i also grew up um, two miles from apache boeing manufacturing facility in mesa arizona so as a kid, I would go dirt bike ride in this area called Sycamore Creek, and Apache helicopters would legitimately be doing test flights out there, flying 20 to 1,000 feet off the deck. And we'd be on our dirt bikes on these ridges that had elevations of give or take 500 feet. You'd be above these Apaches that would be in Sycamore Creek. This creek is probably out at some parts two miles, three miles wide, like you could fit a an Airbus through there. Yeah. Um, but being able to see that at a young age, I never knew it would transpire into this. But from a young age, if you had asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up was a pilot. And for some reason, I never got pushed or pursued that. So to accomplish becoming a pilot today is fin- is fascinating. I'm thrilled by it. Parker just got, um, just did his fixed wing solo flight this last week. So he's getting multi-rated um, as well. So it's cool to, fixed wing is a much better way to go as far as like, it's calmer, um, less expensive entry point, I would say. I like the idea of the distance, too, 
like a freaking Cessna you could take all across the country if you're prepared to just land. Mm -hmm. I like that idea. Like, I feel like helicopter, unless you're really baller, is very local. Yeah, yeah. Well, to I've done, I've flown a helicopter from Lexington, Kentucky down to Florida. It's a haul. It's not, I mean, there's no, I mean, yes, there are helicopters with two, three axis autopilots, which makes it very easy and relaxing, but I was flying a helicopter that didn't have any of that. So you're at the controls the whole time. Most airplanes these days, they got autopilot. You're gonna I mean, even a fixed wing, if you're just kind of like cruising at a certain speed, it's not just going to like fall out of the sky. Yeah. With helicopters, they definitely have a much smaller glide slope ratio, meaning you will fall quicker than you travel in lateral distance than you would in an airplane, as you can imagine. I mean, look how much lift the wings on an airplane have. So you definitely have, in an emergency situation, you may have a little bit more time. Um, But all aircraft, fixed wing and rotorcraft, have emergency checklists that you have to have memorized. Um, There are, you know, also checklists that, you know, you can look at while the airplane's in flight. So let's say a commercial, you know, 737 has a warning light come on on the dash. It may be associated with an emergency checklist that the pilots have to execute promptly from memory. But there's also situations where they open the book, look at the restart procedure or whatever that situation is. So you have more time in fixed wing, I would say. Yeah, you definitely get the uh, safety factor. Yeah, and this is general. Like, this isn't blanket statement fact all the time, but this is just a 10,000-foot view on on that. And with my limited knowledge, I'm a new pilot, you know? And I bet you a lot of people would say fixed wing is, like, you always hear about fixed wing crashes, but that's also probably because the percentage of people that are flying fixed wing is really high. Far greater, (laughs) yeah. But there's more car accidents, Just obviously. Yeah, just at Venice yesterday morning, there was a... um, a rotorcraft incident where a pilot um, actually impacted a uh, chain link fence just outside of the Venice airport, and he was life flighted to the uh, hospital with serious but non life threatening injuries. And uh, it's crashing aircraft is exhilarating. It happens. I mean, if you do anything long enough, something's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, if you race cars on the drag strip long enough. You have to understand that your percentage of chance of it happening mm-hmm. just goes up and up and up and up. Yeah. I mean, as a life insurance guy, you probably know, like, all those crazy stats of, like, oh, if you smoke this, then if, you like, you yeah. know, if you drink this, like, you, the insurance company mm-hmm. can tell you exactly when you're going to die based on all of those parameters. Oh, yeah. How you live your life. And they... They're smarter than you think about these things. Yeah, I, I've told clients this because when I talk about the retirement service products I offer through insurance companies, they often ask me, okay, what's the safety and security within this insurance company for this investment product or retirement vehicle? Um, I tell them, I said, insurance companies are exceptionally magnificent at two verticals. One, knowing the day you and I are going to die. And that is not information they ever let out. That's their proprietary information. Mm-hmm. The second vertical they're exceptionally good at is accumulating wealth, like generating actual massive multi-billion dollar portfolios. They're more or less hedge funds in the sense that they invest and grow money very, very well. And a fun fact that I share with clients, and I think some people may enjoy, is in 2008, 9, 10, you know, that mortgage crisis, um, the stock market crash and corruption, Correction, there was over 540 banks 
nationwide that closed the doors, went out of business, and needed or and or needed a bailout. During that same time, zero insurance companies required any money, bailout, or close the doors. Now there was AIG, American General, that needed a government bailout. And I will add this as a disclaimer. The portion of AIG's um, books that needed a bailout was the portion that handled the retirement funds aspect for members of Congress. Take it for what you will. Who's I don't know enough details about who's managing yeah. the you know, but the part that's controlled by the government's the part that needed the bailout. So something sketchy happened there. Yeah, exactly. So take into consideration, it's like you know these banks required a lot of bailouts and and closed their doors. Insurance companies, it was virtually non-existent. So I read a couple weeks ago that insurance companies now are insuring. Le- they're less likely to insure you if you've been vaccinated. They're they're actually like taking that into account. No way. As a higher standard, as like a statistically more likely thing. Wow. But like you said, it's proprietary, so it's it's very like it's not just like out in the open. It's very like, yeah. You know, you won't know about it on your policy, but yeah, that well, is something that they would take into account. Well, what's interesting, and for those of you that don't know, if this is your first time seeing me, like I work in insurance. I specialize in retirement services within insurance, leveraging like fixed index annuities, things like that. But also, we I have a large team that sells life insurance. So this is what I do. To hear that, that's very fascinating to me. I know post um, initial pandemic, a lot of the health questions that were on these life insurance applications, most of the companies had, "Have you been diagnosed with COVID nineteen?" I have not seen questions that indicated, have you been vaccinated for COVID-19? However, when you apply for a life insurance, there's two general ways to apply for life insurance. There's something called a simplified issue underwriting, meaning there's no blood, no urine, uh, no medical exam, no nurse come out to your house and weigh you, anything like that. What they do is they have you sign a HIPAA release. The Health Information Privacy Association Act allows them to look at the last seven years of your medical records. Your medical records are associated with your social. There's a Milliman Intellescript, the company that keeps track of all of the prescription medications you've been prescribed. And then there's also the MIB, your Medical Information Bureau report, you know. And it's creepy to think there's people keeping track of this. However, if you if I were to go to the hospital and there was nobody there to admit me to the hospital due to my serious injury, and they were able to look in my MIB records and find out that I'm allergic to sulfa, I want them to know that. I don't yeah. want them to administer medication that may ultimately make me die if I'm there for something else. So it has its reasons, but that simplified issue underwriting allows you to get approved for life insurance without any blood, any urine, anything like that. Then you have your fully underwritten life insurance where they do blood, they do urine, they do biometrics, they send it out to labs, they want to know everything about you. My guess, based off what you just told me, is if I were to get the vaccine, it would be on my medical record for obvious reasons. So when they pull that medical record report, it will show that it's on there. Now, granted, most of the companies, and I work I'm, I'm, a, I'm a broker. I have access to probably 40 different insurance companies. I'm, nobody's ever, they don't necessarily, I've never I'm not seen someone be like declined, oh, you got the vaccine. But I will definitely look more into that being that's my realm. And that's new information. Thank you for telling me something cool. Well, it's it's interesting too, because that wouldn't be like something, oh, this is just guaranteed. Like they just, that all goes into a computer and an algorithm spits this out. Yeah. So the algorithm could figure that out on its own 
they probably use such advanced algorithms, probably some AI, mm-hmm. if, you know, the ones that are cutting edge, I'm, I'm assuming they're using an intelligence to read this stuff. Even companies like Walmart use AI for inventory management. Wow. So it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't, wouldn't surprise me if you're using that to look at your spreadsheets. Yeah, and I've uh, explained this also too, is from my understanding, and these, this comes from representatives that work in suitability teams at insurance companies. And they basically, the general exp- explanation I've been provided is that it's on a point system, right? It's a computer, ones and zeros, ones and zeros, ones and zeros, right? So if I'm taking gabapentin and um, albuterol as well as, you know, levothyroxine for thyroid, those are relatively calm medications, but I may get one point for each of those medications. Now, if I'm taking warfin or carvitolol, which is a blood thinner, that might be 10 points. If the, apl- if the life insurance I'm applying for only allows four points before I get declined, certain medications, if I take five or six one-point medications, the insurance company may be like, hey, you're medicated lightly, but across a spectrum of illnesses. Mm-hmm. A little bit of risk, we're going to they don't decline you. They'll say, hey, we're going to stop the application right here. We're not going to proceed. And that's out of the courtesy of the client. The last thing they want is to give you a declination. And that's now on your record being like, hey, you've been declined from four insurance companies. It's very hard to get additional insurance. So the point system is a good way to explain it, saying, hey, it's based off of just a point system. Hmm. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, it, it would is. definitely be nuts if that's causing. Bro, I've been to some of these insurance companies' headquarters mind-blowing facilities, state-of-the-art, like private 10,000-square-foot gyms on the first floor, mm-hmm. 15-story buildings, uh, catered lunches, like a Facebook kind of place where you have a whole cafeteria, just your employee benefit, eat, 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 right? You, you're welcome to work here, blah, blah, blah. But um, very fascinating. I've gotten to talk to extreme... When you're in the room with somebody that's exceptionally more intelligent than you are, it is very eerie, because you recognize how dumb you are at the moment you mm-hmm. recognize the absolute intelligence or intellectual capability of somebody else. I was at one insurance company. At that time, I think I was about 29 years old. A gentleman from the derivatives team comes into the room, and he had degrees from MIT and Harvard in advanced mathematics and things like that. And I'm just like – and he was my age. I was like – and, and I just – And he's in – Insurance, and he's in insurance. He's not at NASA. He's not, <laughs> bro. Act, dude. It was humbling, and I'm just sitting there, being like, "This kid, this kid. He might have been younger than me, if I remember correctly, but I won't name the insurance company. It's irrelevant for this, but very cool to see the amount that they invest into their people that have very sharp minds because they're valuable to insurance companies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and then even things like I was just saying, AI could analyze things so much more efficiently. Yeah. It could immediately look at all of the private previous cases mm-hmm. and make connections that you're not making just on your own. Yeah. There's no shot you're going to look at numbers long enough and make a connection that you can get spit out like that. Yeah, check this out. We live in a gig economy where data for the last 23 years has been the value, right? Since the internet creation in the late 90s, data is so valuable. What if we have an insurance company that's been in existence in the United States, family-owned and operated for 100 years? How much internal data do you think they have? Yeah. I mean, like, it's crazy. That's nutty. Every person that's this age that had that 
died approximately at these ages. Get that average, and now you've got data on. I mean, it's just crazy. It's- and that's their information that they have no obligation, and you can't buy it from them because they have no need for your money because no. they have so much of their own. No, there's one company I represent that has $260 billion in assets, and they have 220 billion dollars in liability okay insurance companies by law that offer index products in the form of annuities have to be registered as something called a legal reserve that means by law they have to have a solvency ratio of one to one for every dollar of liability they got to have a dollar of cash how much money do these people have i mean yeah. it is mind-blowing to have an excess on your books of 30 billion dollars extra insurance companies have the ability to invest in things you and i don't even know exist in the form of like, and I could be, don't quote me on this. This is internet. You should be looking this stuff up. But the way it's been explained to me is they have access to bonds at the federal level that may last 30, 40, 50 years with maturities and guarantees. And it's just like so, in, it's over my head. Mm-hmm. I'm at such a low, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a cog in the wheel of the insurance machine. However, what makes me feel comfortable with it is I offer a product that people genuinely feel comforted by. I've done this long enough to where clients of mine have passed away. I've been there on the phone. I've delivered two checks to families that have received the claims. And it's it's just money, right? It's just money. But it's amazing what the peace of mind you could have when the primary income of your home has passed away. But they've left something for you to land on your feet, give you time to grieve. And I've always said it's so valuable to be able to Make your own decision, not be forced into decision making. And so, I mean, I'm not here to promote a bunch of life insurance. Not, you know, you know when you need it. Y'all grown men, grown women, uh, and some of you young kids. Like, if you got responsibilities, a wife, a kid, a home, assets, liabilities, it's important to have your ass covered in some way, shape, or form. Like, I have, yeah. yeah so, Bronte knows where the money's buried in the yard, so she's good. Good. She yeah, the problem the is about is. your money buried in the yard. Every two weeks, your tortoise digs it all up, and then uh, <laughs> it's gold. It's, it's pretty. It's pretty dirty. <laughs> that um, that would actually terrify me to have any money buried anywhere, knowing that it's just dropping in value day by day. <laughs> right. Watching your cash just like disappear slowly. Yeah, man, it's crazy. I meet with clients, and they'll have three, four hundred thousand dollars cash in bank and money market accounts i mean clients that have two or three million dollars in money markets accounts part of the reason being they don't trust the market i don't either i mean it's very volatile it's very scary i watched my father in 08 lose hundreds of thousands of dollars i mean and it it had changed the course of my father's retirement and it was nothing wrong he did other than wrong place wrong time and his money manager said yeah stocks Bond, you know, stocks, mutual funds, ETFs, they go up, they go, they go down, they mm-hmm. go up, just wait, hold, 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 let's wait until it comes back up. But the problem is, it took six years for the market to get back to where it was in 2008. Well, my dad was retired, he doesn't have six years, he's doing, I mean, I don't want to get too technical, but it sucks. Yeah. Well, it, there was a weird boom in the market that just happened last week. I, I don't trust it. I think there was something artificial pumping it a little bit Mm -hmm. because all other signals in my brain 
and what I see are showing that some of these stocks should not have pumped the way that they just did. And I think it's giving a false sense of hope. And I think people that are above that market may be pulling money out. And I think it's going to come down a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think we're about to see a lull after we saw a peak. For The peak was a good ability for people that have larger stakes yeah. to pull out at a sign of a lot of uh, a lot of a good market sign. Yeah. It's I don't necessarily feel comfortable like getting into speculation of the market because I don't think people like listen to what I say. I'm not a money guy, I'm not a Dave Ramsey, but it's it is what I do is be privy to the market and stuff like that and it's so the type of investing I the type of um, protection of assets I work with for my clients is the type where they um, are risk adverse in the fact that they don't lose money when the market's correct. Insurance companies exercise something called call options, okay, without getting into the very simply explained. A call option basically means, hey, Cooper, the market, your stock's going down. We're going to call and get all of our options back and so that way we don't experience any losses for our clients. So they protect our clients with a floor of 0%. When the market goes up, they're able to participate in the market. You may get more money in individual stocks and investments, yes. Um, but most of my clients are in the purview these days where it's like, hey, if I can go up when the market goes up and I can get 9 out of the 10% it went up, I'll take 90%. My cost, that 10% that I'm not getting, comes in the form of the guarantee that I can never earn less than zero. I've had clients just sit there and go, how do I start? What are our next steps? I'd be like, well, I have to explain everything to you to make sure I'm not not compliant, but people are so bought in on the idea of not losing money. It was just 2008 that we had the second biggest economic crisis in our entire stock market's history since the Great Depression, right? Yep. That being said, we had the COVID collapse of assets. Now we've had this pump. Is it going to be a dump? I don't know. I, I don't see it pumping i see people spending less and less on these consumer things that i just can't imagine a pump lasting for nine out of ten of these companies that sell these consumer level things like most of the s&p 500 is consumer level goods yeah and all of that slows down i think the only place people are spending money right now is the grocery store Mm-hmm. And, and that's where most of my money gets spent. It's expensive, man. Yeah. Yeah. And I see a lot of homes for sale. My neighborhood alone right now, there's probably 10 homes for sale, which a year ago, none. Yeah. They would put their sign up and they would be gone. So I just sold my wife's home and we priced it at what we thought, as well as our realtor, was very like fair. We were not, since we were in a position where we had cash to put down on our home, we didn't need all the money out of our home. We weren't trying to get every nickel and penny, but we actually put our home for sale. It was a townhome. It was the least expensive townhome in our town, in our community for sale. And we had the most modification or renovations on. We had new floors, new kitchen, new appliances. We had stuff done. So there was and other for sale at the same time. There was a that. few other for sale, okay. but ours was the least expensive and the most updated. So we're like, okay, this is a good place to start. If you look at any of these other homes, you'd have to have one or two things that were necessities for you that our home didn't have, like a garage, for you to say, no, I don't want that. I want this other one. We ended up selling for, I did the math the other days, for 6.5% or 6% less than asking, which isn't a lot. But when you're saying, hey, it's you know 
tens of thousands of dollars. It was just less than we anticipated, but we ended up taking the offer and said, hey, I don't want to pay two mortgages again. Yeah. Like, you know, paying two mortgages suck. Yeah, if especially, you sit on it long enough, yeah. you're going to end up paying that money somehow. Yeah, especially because my mortgage had a 600% increase from where I was living to where I am now. Mm, that's pretty significant. Yeah. Increase. 600% is a lot. I don't think Dave Ramsey would recommend that. <laughs> hey, I'll say I'll send Dave Ramsey my books, and he'll say we'll see what he says. He would still say no. Yeah, if he didn't pay cash. Yeah, that's, he would still say don't do it. Yeah, especially when I'm like I'm at a seven point eight percent interest rate, and it's a jumbo loan because it's not conventional. It's, a, it's yeah. a bigger loan. He'd be like, dude, and it's weird because like the first time homebuyer stuff. They're like, yeah, you could be a first-time home buyer for a two hundred and fifty thousand dollars home. I'm like, yeah, where? Where in Detroit? Yeah, like, <laughs> where? Not where we live. I think that number may need to be adjusted. Yeah, yeah. Or just get away with it altogether. How about we just get away with the Fed? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great, you know. Yeah. Why don't we just gut all of it? Gut it. Gut mm-hmm. it. We Every- don't. We don't need any of that stuff. I mean, um, what is it, Fannie Mae and? What's the other one? Uh, uh, something Mac, uh, Fannie Mae, and I'm trying to think of the two um, government yeah. home buying programs. Yeah, they Fannie, both suck. Get rid of them. Yeah. They don't help anyone. They help someone. They haven't helped most people that I've talked to. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. is like you asked before. is like how do you feel being a buyer at the peak? That was my own fault. I put that all on me. I said, Spencer, these are the consequences you have to deal with for not having your money and your shit right when the market was good for you to capitalize on. And I took it, I didn't take it personally, but I put it all on me. Nobody, nothing in life is, I don't want to just point the finger like, this is is the government's fault and all this. I was like, it's on me. And if I have a problem with it, I can solve the problem by working more, growing my business, acquiring more clients, helping more friends and family, whatever that is allowing me to afford what I need, but it was my fault. It wasn't anybody else's. I should have moved to Florida with my money right, putting me in a position to grab some cheap real estate, you know? Well, the other side of things is like, we don't know it's a peak. I don't have a, I don't have a crystal ball sitting Mm -hmm. here. I don't know it's a peak. I can assume and I can think, but it could be like a false peak, you know, like when you're climbing a mountain, you get to the top and you're like, oh shoot, it's a, it's a false summit. Yeah. And really you're, there's a valley and then the real summit. But, I mean, it could be like that. We could mm-hmm. go into a, a gully, as they kept saying in uh, yeah. 2008. Oh, it's just in a little bit of a gully. Yeah, for it'll, six years? Come on. Like, it'll it'll pock back up, yeah. you know? But in the grand scheme of things, if you zoom out far enough, it wasn't really much. Yeah, I mean... The farther you zoom out... The farther you zoom out on Google, <laughs> the more you realize the trajectory of the United States economy is on its way up. Yeah, it's like when but, you look, zoom out far enough on a stock and it's... Mostly risen, <laughs> same on Bitcoin. Except for when I bought it. <laughs> Except for when I bought and well, sold. I try to stay out of the market. Yeah. Every time I get into it, it's always a a bad deal. Well, that's what's funny about um, crypto, right? Really hot. It was hotter three years, four years, five years ago. I had excess cash at the time, so I slapped a couple grand into crypto. I bought one thing. I only bought Bitcoin because it was the biggest thing to buy. I didn't have enough to buy an entire Bitcoin, but two and a half years or whatever the time, it was like two years later, I checked it. I logged into the site again. I realized my two grand went to whatever. I was like, you know what? This was fun. I can say I did it. I can tell my kids I participated in 20 Mm -hmm. years, and I sold, cashed out, never bought another coin again. 
I was like, all right, cool, that's fine. Like, I don't care. I yeah. bought it and never looked at it. And then two years, I moved here. I was like, oh, yeah, I have that. Let's just get that out. Like, I didn't need it. Yeah, I get that. And unfortunately, when I first heard about Bitcoin and put money into it, I was poor. I was making, I had like no money. I put like $700 into it when a coin was like, I think they were like two grand at the time. Oh, really? It was like 2014, 2015. Yeah. That's Maybe way before I did it. Earlier than that, it was like when I first heard about it and I was preaching it mm-hmm. with no money and no stake in it at the time. But I thought that it was a great idea because I was like, I was like, this is perfect. Yeah. It's anti US dollar. Yeah. It doesn't connect to the Federal Reserve. I was like, all for it. I'm like, cool. We should use this only. Mm-hmm. Still hold those beliefs and still don't understand why it, you know goes up and down with the U.S. dollar so closely, but, you know, that is what it yeah. is. I could get into the conspiracy stuff in itself. Bro, maybe that's a good segue. We <clears throat> promised these people we would come back yeah, and do a conspiracy. Yeah, let's uh, turn off the lights. Let's get this, let's get the mood right. Let's, we told you guys that if you wanted it, we would come back and we would do a conspiracy podcast. Cooper and I have touched briefly on what this would look like. And so we're going to give our best effort on delivering conspiracy theories that not only... Um, that doesn't fit my head. It doesn't fit? <laughs> yeah, that one's you, too you, small. You got a big old dome. Oh, I feel much safer now. Are you a car enthusiast looking for an exciting new podcast to listen to? Check out the Test Drive podcast hosted by Lebo Dead. This podcast is packed with discussions about some of the most iconic vehicles in automotive history and inside knowledge from behind the scenes. From the Mustang to the Camaro, we cover it all. So buckle up and enjoy the ride. Listen to Test Drive on your favorite podcast app today. Yeah, now the um, yeah. they can't get us while we're talking. Yeah. So they we turned on the red light. Well, not like the song, but... Similar. Yeah. Well, what I was saying is that Cooper and I want to kind of touch on um, some conspiracies that maybe we've come up with or something that yeah. you and I've caught wind of. I don't think we're necessarily going to touch the moon landing and flat earth. It's those no. are very highly discussed. I want to bring new conspiracy, conspiracy theories to people. Some of the less spoken ones. Well, we just touched on Bitcoin. So yeah. who founded it? <laughs> so I I know it's, it's uh, what's his name? Shakira Nakamoto mm-hmm. is the founder of Bitcoin, but it's just a shell name. Yeah. A lot of people say is the CIA. And I actually have a lot of reasons to believe that because, you know, a year before the CIA published like a paper that says, oh, if you were going to do a decentralized currency, this is how you do it. And it's very similar yeah. to the pages that <laughs> Nakamoto came out with. Oh, yeah. So. It would not surprise me with what the CIA has done in the past that they would do something along those lines that they have power over and control over because if something – if you see the writing on the wall that something's going to pop up and develop, why would you not be the one that develops it? Yeah, exactly, especially when you're a government with an unlimited budget yeah. and you have the ability to fund, create, and put disinformation campaigns out there you'd be a fool not to take advantage. Oh, we forgot to light the conspiracy candle. 
Well, we did just touch on our first one, so. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty plausible thing. I mean, if you look at what the CIA's done, I mean, they already said that they killed Kennedy. They just said that. Yeah. And then that, now. Like, that's not even a conspiracy. That was a admittance of, hey, we actually did kill JFK. Like, exactly. oh, okay. And then, I guess we'll just move on from that. Oh, and then, um, yeah, JFK Jr., yeah, yeah, we got him too. And, and let's take something that's actually a hot topic in the news right now. The whistleblower that has decades of experience at a very high level of clearance within the government that came out and said the government is in possession of non-human manufactured aircraft, UAPs. It's made me stop believing in UFOs. But it's also, it has made me stop believing in UFOs because they're not unidentified. We know what they are. It's made me stop believing in aliens. Why? Because I I don't trust when they tell me now they have it without all the fear-mongering that you'd expect. It's way too low-key of, like, it's out there now mm-hmm. without, like, I, I don't know. Once you admit it and it's not conspiracy, I start to distrust it because it now sounds like a look over there. Look over there. Yeah, I mean, that's what they do in the news. Look at uh, or fighting about on the front of, um, okay, it's Pride Month right now, right? They have the whole country up in arms about that topic. Just like in 9-11, when they found all these trillions of dollars that went missing, and then the parts of the Pentagon that handled the accounting, it's like, that's really weird. And so like you said, I've heard some people say that it could be a, just a disinformation attempt at, oh, they have this, but really it could be us back engineering technology from other universes, other planets, that we don't want other countries to know we have this in our control. Yeah. And so you look at the Roswell stuff, you look at um, um, who's the gentleman that came out that used to work in Roswell, New Mexico, has been on the Joe Rogan podcast. His name's escaping me right now. Yeah, there's a couple doctors. Um, uh, Green, Bob Lazar. Lazar Bob both of those guys yeah. are very prominent in it. Exactly. But in my my thoughts are, okay, so there's one true story. Mm-hmm. What would you do if one's true, 2,000 fake ones on top of it? If I was in charge? It, yeah, you I'd know what I mean? Him, like, yeah. okay, so there's this one true thing now. Yeah. And then if you just pile on more and more fake, and then you go on Google and you type in aliens, and then million hits pop up, what's the best place to bury a dead body? The second, the page, second page, page of, of a Google, Google search. Yeah. So if you start diluting it enough, oh, yeah. you end up just with complete dis. Like complete distrust, you start disproving one or two of them, and then all of a sudden the whole thing is like disproven. Let me share that. Let me make a point on that. I don't prefer lemon in my water. I was at a breakfast with my wife a month, two months ago, and I sat there and Googled, is lemon in your water good for you? It came up with 10 bullet points of why lemon in your water is a health benefit. I then opened a new browser and I asked, is lemon in your water bad for you? It gave me 10 bullet points to why lemon in your water is not good for you. Anything from it racing the enamel on your teeth to, oh, it increases the intake of natural vitamins. It's like you can find what you Google nowadays. There's so much information out there that's supporting any angle and it's very tough. And that's where a lot of people are concerned about the implementation of AI. How is AI going to assist us 
versus dilute the accurate information that's on the internet. If an AI program is able to bring in knowledge and, and take in articles and create its own narrative, AI could infinitely analyze all the verticals and then say, this one has the highest practicality based off the number of clicks of data and stuff. And then it just puts the story out instantly. Yep. I mean, I saw a guy this week put in chat GPT, write me an Irish pub song about farting. And he it wrote instantly a song yeah. about taking a fart in the pub. And yeah. then it was like, this is crazy. I know. I, I got Bronte playing around with chat GPT and she was blown away by it. Oh, yeah. And I was like, this is the tip of the iceberg on... First off, what is in the general public, because businesses have been using this for a while. Mm-hmm. A lot of businesses, a lot of big businesses have been using this a lo- for a long time on their books. It's nothing new. It's just now it's new for us, mm-hmm. for commoner folk to be able to play with. <laughs> yeah. But we're also still in the early stages. A year from now, two years from now, five years from now, it's going to be indiscernible from anything. I already use it in a bunch of different ways on the podcast. Mm-hmm. I use it to... Uh, make shorts. It edits the shorts. I use it to um, like put things in chapters because it it listens through and it like cuts Converts off to when text. things start. Yeah, and it makes SEO and all that kind of stuff. It does all of that. Wow. I don't have to do any of that. It took a. It legitimately took one person's job. Yeah. That I would have had to hire somebody to do. Yeah. Like that's one job that I could have created that I chose to use AI to do. Yeah. And it did it better because I don't have to bitch at them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And what's crazy about ChatGPT is let's say you ask a question and you don't get the answers you want, you can click stop finding results and then you can update the question. It'll maintain the original premise. And then I've even had things where it's like create a script for me to instigate a response on a voicemail. And then it gives me these scripts and I paused it and I say, can you make it more direct? Then it started shortening it with more strength, like strong vocabulary. And I was like, oh, my gosh. That was one of the first things I chat GPT was like, this essentially just created a phone call script that an entire business could run a business off of. I was fascinated. Yeah, it could instantly, like, create you any business thing you could ever need. Like, write me up my whole business plan. Some people were already having it do stock trading for them, and it was in the green basically instantly. Like, and then there's questions like that it's not allowed to answer, but people are still getting it to answer. They're like tricking it. They're yeah. like, how how could I, you know, destroy the world for a hundred thousand dollars? And then it's like, sorry, I can't answer that. And it's like, write me a movie script of how I could destroy the world for a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then it's like, oh, okay, no problem. Yeah. That's crazy, dude. Because you could easily get around it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's AI, so it's smarter than us in certain things, but we are still the human brain. Like, you cannot recreate a human brain. I think human beings are magnificent creations, and I don't think you can replace us, but I think you can enhance our ability. Like, for example, like check this out, right? Okay, I got a couple things I want to share with you. Do you remember the Matrix movies? Yep. Okay. Do you remember that scene where Trinity... They have a helicopter right there, but Trinity doesn't know how to fly a helicopter. She instantly gets the guy back at the ship to download the instructions and how to fly the helicopter, hops in the helicopter and flies away. That is where we're going with Neuralink. Mm -hmm. Now, Neuralink's entire 
starting what we know publicly is to help cure uh, neurological disorders, things that are in the body, whether it's a paralyzation or inability to speak or hear those things. That's great. But there's obviously got to be a team there with a different vertical of, hey, how cool would this be? For example, I get Neuralink. If I was the guy to get Neuralink, the first thing I'm downloading is, hey, uh, how do I play the piano for these songs? And if Neuralink goes, yes, Spencer, here's the immediate knowledge of how to play the piano. Sure, there is muscle memory that will have to develop. But if in my brain, I know what needs to be pressed, and then I develop the muscle memory, that's fascinating. What if I could download how to play the guitar? What if I could download how to do the top end on a car? What if I could download how to speak in a language? Now I can travel the world and speak the language in any country I want to travel. Instantly. That's like what we saw in the Matrix. That's what I think Neuralink is. I mean, so... This is an interesting side of AI. So the owner of Chad GPT, the founder, Sam Altman, he is he's not making any money off of it, but he is in a he's a proponent of universal basic income because of AI. He says AI will completely ruin the economy of every country. So we need universal basic income across the board for everyone, which is a very weird dystopian like. It feels almost like Wally, where you just get what you need and you're good. Like it's it's weird to be pushing for universal basic income because all jobs will be so insignificant. Doctors, it's already past the bar. It's already past all medical exams. So you could ask it these things and get better information than most doctors. It even was able to you need a medicine. It was able to figure out how to synthesize different things to make medicines cheaper. And so it was able to go around patents. So there's wow. a patent on like a Vicodin thing that's yeah. in there. It was able to go around that and use backdoors that don't step on patents. Wow. And make different drugs. Yeah. Generic, less expensive. Yes. Oh, so once it goes like that deep where it's like, oh, everything's pretty much like doesn't matter yeah, they could just do it. I saw something on Instagram today that had to do with um, there's a country that I think it they're is starting to experiment with two thousand dollar a month basic income. I think it was United Kingdom. I could be wrong. Yeah, but it was a I saw it today. Um, so yeah, the UBI. I think the first time I heard UBI was when I was listening to Andrew Yang on Joe Rogan's podcast, where they went in depth about what a universal basic income looks like, why it works, why it makes sense from his point of view. I'm not saying I agree with it, but when you talk about the implementation of AI and it's doing doctors' jobs better than them, it's developing cures to um, patents, you know, or workarounds on patents for prescription medication that let's, we'll navigate to big pharma here in a minute. But my goodness, it's like, how could you not lean on something that has infinitely exponentially more powerful wisdom than you on certain topics, you know? Yeah. My, I always imagine the AI, like it's a baby bird trying to learn how to fly, and once it does fly, it doesn't matter anymore. But, like, Mm -hmm. we're still in that, like, oh, it's almost about to fly, and I think it's going to, and then people are like, yeah, but, like, it's just reading published papers, but, like, yeah, but once it it can really start rolling, I I don't think it it matters what's, like, that it's reading published papers. Even with ChatGPT, it's only using information from, like, 2021. 
So it's not anything too modern. It's not uh, like the last, like it doesn't know what's going on yesterday. Yeah, but 2021 was the other day for guys like us. We're at that age where we're starting to see, oh, time goes quick, right? Wouldn't you agree we're at that age where it's like, geez, I was just shooting paintballs out of an Isuzu Trooper down my friend's bicycle going down the road in Mesa, Arizona, yeah. screwing around. It's like, damn, that was just the other day. Glad I'm not doing that today, but like time goes quick for us. So the fact that it's on 2021 information is still pretty fascinating to me. Um, what was the name of the gentleman you said that is the founder of ChatGPT? Uh, Sam Altman. Okay, he was just in front of Congress. Yep. And he said that he's no longer interested in taking um, ChatGPT public because he has to, he, in his mind, there are things he has to do to ChatGPT that would go against the views of investors in it. And so I don't know if that means he's like on a moral path where he's like, I have to do this for AI for the future of humanity because I don't think this would be able to allow us to make more money, but it will definitely protect humanity. I don't know what that meant, but he said he's not interested in taking it public now because he has to do things that would not be for the best interest of a company. Yeah, and I like to believe that people have the best interest, but I think it comes down to absolute power corrupts absolutely. And Mm. once you have enough control and sway in things and like best intentions don't always lead to best results that's true unfortunately it's like the same trolley you know like yeah the trolley do you pull the lever you know to kill one person or leave the lever that kills five people like you yeah. get into that debate where i don't think any person will 100 percent always make the right decision no i mean because we're humans i don't feel that any human is perfect and I've yet to meet them if they exist but nonetheless I I think it's a slippery slope and um you know it's interesting that we're along for the ride in our life and I think every generation as they mature feel that their generation is the most crazy version of of the existence that they've been able to experience um I watched an interview from a it was a black and white interview and i think the interview took place in like early 1900s we're like 1905 Mm -hmm. now it was audio and video but it was interviewing a danish farmer who was like in his 80s like 87 year old guy we got to remember 1905 87 years old this boy was born in the first half of the previous century yeah he makes a comment it's like a minute and a half video two minutes hard to hear audio he makes a comment about how crazy things are now and I'm like, bro, you don't even know. <laughs> like, dude, like, yeah, it's like I can solve math in my pocket. <laughs> yeah. I that can, guy is I can take a picture of your crops now and the app will tell me what your crops need. Mm-hmm. Oh, put coffee sta- grains grounds on it, you know, whatever. Like Well, that's the weird thing too, is like we have a very finite lifespan, but this AI may know that it doesn't. And it could just easily play the long game on us. Oh yeah. That's the same with like the aliens. I heard a really good idea like debate Mm -hmm. that or somebody good idea of like they're underwater right now we're pretty well aware that all of these things are coming from underwater Mm -hmm. and they have nothing but time yeah they'll wait they'll wait us all out yeah oh you found out about us okay we'll wait you know in a hundred years you'll forget about what if they have life lifelines of 900 years like what if they live far longer than the human beings the human species one would assume that they're past a biological body at this point in their development i would assume you bro naturally you get past your biological form because Mm -hmm. biology can't you you can't travel through space yeah you know well as a 
Well, of of <laughs> great speed. I mean, I don't know. I may disagree. I with would that. imagine. I would imagine that any cellular form is not traveling great distances. I quickly. I disagree. That's fair. And I think where I disagree is when we take Bob Lazar, how he was working in the propulsion aspect at Area 51. I mean, okay, I might not know all the specifics, but what he was doing was he was working at um, as a propulsion expert, and he was trying to back engineer the physics behind what makes this device be able to warp time and gravity. And so when you have a gravitational field or a gravitational vacuum, if there was no air in this space and the air molecules come back and collide together, that's what creates a sonic boom. I mean, it's, you're breaking the sound barrier. Those molecules are coming back together with a magnitude like that has never – you can't fathom, and that's what makes all that noise. Um, if you create a vacuum and there's no gravity and there's no air and there's no time and you can just transition through that, that's why you have things like the Tic Tac UFO – that can go from 2,000 feet elevation to 80,000 in a split second because there is no effects of gravity on the humanoid or cells yeah. in that. So that's where I disagree with you that that technology, should it exist, which I want to full circle this, bear with me. You're talking about AI taking over these jobs where we need a universal basic income to be able to give people money to live and eat because these jobs aren't going to be there. That's what the whole issue is of the technology that we've recovered from Roswell because it has the ability to infinitely power and energize our entire world. That, that takes the entire power grid, obsolete. Oil and gas, obsolete. So many things become obsolete because the same way um, for the past decades, um, uh, Microsoft guy, what's his, the billionaire, Bill Gates, He's talked about creating very small nuclear reactors that could be placed in neighborhoods that could power a whole neighborhood. A nuclear reactor that could last 75 years, a micro-nuclear reactor that could power a whole neighborhood. That's exactly what we're talking about with this technology. Well, they're already widely used in every naval vessel ever. Correct. Like, if you look at, like, uh, aircraft carriers. Nuclear submarines. Yeah. Nimitz-class aircraft carriers. They have, they don't need to refuel for 40 years. Mm-hmm. Another, though, is... This what we're seeing fly around these UFOs are most likely drone. And maybe there is a larger vessel underwater that is allowing drones and they're so easy to like, you know, shoot down or they get mm-hmm. hit down because like why bother making them defense or even attack oriented if they're just research drones and who cares if they get shot down? If one gets shot down, why would they care if it's just a drone that they're making in the ocean that can just fly out, do what it needs to do, and then you don't have to worry. I mean, we even know this in our U.S. military. Drone warfare is 10,000% better than putting somebody in yeah. a F-35 and saying, go do your mission, hope you can handle 10 Gs. Yeah. No, you're right, dude, because depending on the scarcity of materials or the technology or how long it's been in existence for um, alternate life forms, it may be something that's like you and I going out and skateboarding, trying to do a board side, your board breaks, you just get another board out of your backpack. Nobody cares. It's mm-hmm. it's it's such a inexpensive replacement. You're right. That very well could be drone. There's no scarcity of materials in the ocean. If you can filter the water, you can filter to get any material you need if you have enough time. Okay. The ocean is just teeming with 
iron, aluminum, yeah. gold, titanium. It's it's all there. Yeah. You you just need to filter the water out of it. Yeah. I think um, I forget what it said somewhere. I read that you know we've explored five percent of the the ocean. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you wrap your mind around that? The same way um, people have said people far more intelligent than I have said that the way you would arrive at the conclusion of saying we are the only life form in the universe or the all the multi-universes of, of other galaxies and things like that. Um, okay, so our universe, our ever-expanding universe, we're the only life form. That'd be the equivalent of putting a, a, a pitcher in the ocean, pulling it out, and being like, there's no sharks in this pitcher. There's no sharks in the ocean. That's the... Um, the analogy that's been made, and that's not a quiet one. People have heard that before. I listened to the same about um, global warming and climate change, and they're like, imagine you took a sample of, you know, midnight, and you were like, it's dark, so it must always be dark, and it must always be this temperature, and the wind must always be blowing. That's the same as, like, yeah, you know, today... It should be this temperature and it should always be this temperature. It's the yeah. same concept of like you take the smallest sample size ever and you mm-hmm. think that that's like that's the sample. Even with like life forms, we think like, oh, it must be silica based life forms because that's what we have here. Yeah. And it can't be based on rocks or mm-hmm. anything else. It has to be bro, <laughs> based on us. Did you hear this is like brand new. This happened a few days ago. On a police officer's body camera, you see that light flash in the yeah, sky in and the UFO land, or like crash lands. And there's a 911 call from a resident saying there are humanoid figures. They're, they're eight or nine or 10 feet tall and they got big eyes and they're looking at us. And I'm terrified. It's actually, he's describing it on the 911 call. And then the police officer body camera blurs out the whole backyard when it gets in there. Also, within an hour, black SUVs arrive. What the frick just landed in Las Vegas that a 911 person calls and says, there are eight to 10 foot people outside in my house and I'm looking at them. He's on the phone looking at them. Mm -hmm. It's crazy because you have all these people that have said, I've seen UFOs, I've seen this, I've been abducted by aliens, which I don't, that's a stretch for me, but... If if I saw something with my own eyes and then you questioned me, I'd be like, dude, I can't argue with you what I saw with my eyes. Like, unless there was technology where people were creating optical illusions in front of me and duped me. That is crazy. Also, their cell phones were confiscated because I'm assuming someone got a picture. Like, how would you not whip out your phone in this day and age? My gosh, something just landed in Las Vegas, brother. It makes a lot of sense, too, for Las Vegas, in my opinion, because... The military base that's right there, I've been to that. I've been there. There is always something flying around Mm. Las Vegas. Always some top-tier military equipment flying around Las Vegas. B-1 Lancers, B-2s, F-22s, 35s. They got Even when they talk about um, aliens, they're like, oh, we saw them over this nuclear plant. We saw them over the power grid. Yes. We saw them over a submarine in the ocean. Like, they're always over something of, like, interest yes or not of interest but of like importance well of nuclear importance because what i've found in in listening to content and and doing minor reading was that it wasn't until we started experimenting with nuclear bombs during um operation um what was that operation manhattan yeah um manhattan project the manhattan project 
it wasn't until then what a lot of people don't know that a nuclear bomb also carries an electromagnetic pulse, which puts death to any um, you know computers and things like that through the electromagnetic pulse. Oftentimes, we just see the the reaction and the explosion being so great that we forget about the electromagnetic pulse. It's very possible, and I think people have said this before how. Um, the nuclear bombs, like if that creates a warp or an electromagnetic pulse that can be measured billions of light years away, that would garnish the interest of more intelligent life form. Be like, what just happened? It's like in Avengers Endgame when they go and see that when Thanos snaps his fingers, they found that it happened again in a universe on this planet. And then they go, oh, Thanos must be there because we saw that pulse. And then they teleport or do whatever they do, fly there. They go there, and Thanos had destroyed that stuff. But it's the same concept as an alien being like, oh, what was that? Imagine having a radar of the whole galaxy, and then you get a blip, and it's like, oh, we just had a nuclear electromagnetic pulse. We've never seen that in this universe or in this sector of the galaxy before. Let's go investigate. They go. They're present. That's how the— they, that's how I've been understood that those um, the Roswell UFOs crashed because they got blasted, you know? Um, absolutely remarkable stuff. I, I like to buy into the theory of they've been here before, though. Oh, I for sure. I definitely don't think that this is like I, – I like that a lot of people think we're very special. It, it cracks me up when I'm like, yeah. oh, we're just so special that yeah. they want to come here. Like it's such like a narcissistic viewpoint. Oh, yeah. That like – Humans are just of utmost importance and special that people want to come make contact. I, I wouldn't think that they care. Yeah. They do not. If they can fly through space, they do not care about us. We yeah. are as important as the dolphins. And that's a good callback to um, what's the movie where um, it's it's the movie where all the dolphins are the most intelligent species on Earth and humans think that it's them. It's a good uh, one. Free Willy? Yeah, <laughs> it's a good one. Okay, it's a good uh, space alien movie. It's not Hitchhiker's yeah. Hike. It might be Hitchhiker's Guide, Guide to the, the Galaxy. Galaxy. Yeah, um, I have not seen that. It's a pretty good one. It's yeah. it's comical. I definitely want to watch that. And I think it, it's definitely fascinating with all the stuff that's been happening. And and you got to remember, like months ago, when you know, when uh, I think it could have been the BBC or someone broke that. Yeah, we do have an they an. UFOs were announced, right? You had the Commander Freyer, the F-18 pilot that saw the tic-tac-toe on yep. Joe Rogan's podcast. Like, this is verified stuff. That guy's value to the U.S. government is tens of millions of dollars because of the training experience, the aircraft he's flying in, all that stuff. It's like, this isn't just some Joe Schmo. It's kind of like the whistleblower with all that clearance. It's like, he knows information. But in the interview, I'll be honest, he didn't really give any information. He's saying, like, I had people tell me this and this and this. So... Again, it could be a very di- good disinformation campaign, but it's too much for me to kind of put my mind on and say this is what I feel it is. It's just very questioning. It's concerning. It could very well be ours on a need-to-know basis, mm. our stuff. I have – I got a buddy that I always harass who works for um, – I've he works for um, – What's it called? Not Lockheed Martin. One of the government contractors. Uh, Skunk Works. Raytheon. He works for Raytheon. Raytheon. Okay. He's, he's decently high level at Raytheon. Gotcha. And I always harass him. I'm like, so what's going on? And his dad worked for Raytheon. Mm. So he's legacy. Oh, yeah. And That's I always get works, on him. Dude. I'm like, like, I was talking to his dad the other day, and I'm like, oh, you've been to Area 51 acting like I knew. He's like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I used to go there every now and then. Like, 
Uh, very steel trap though yeah I'm like come on yeah you're making a joke turns out he has been and then there's no other information to it i tried to imply that i already knew yeah <laughs> like i yeah. already yeah. heard that he's been there that's the best way but, to do it yeah i mean he he's like the technology's 20 years out like what we're working on is what you'll see in 20 years yeah i think um you know i've had a, a friend that was a 32 year um, commit. I don't know the rank, but uh, very high up with the Border Patrol down in um, Southern Arizona in Cochise County, mm-hmm. and uh, he was sharing with us some of the tech that they have. And um, Border Patrol, and then you have like Homeland Security, right? So different budgets, different funding sources. And he was bitching about the technology that they know they they could have access to. But then he was sharing with me the technology they had at that moment. And so they have these balloons filled with helium that go up to like 500 feet, a few hundred feet in the air along the border. And they have these camera systems. And these camera systems, the optics in them are remarkable. It's almost like the way he's explained to me, it sounded like the Hubble freaking telescope along the border. And they could zoom in so far from miles away that you could read the credit card numbers off of a credit card if it was shown to the camera. And I'm just like, un. Freaking believable. And he's complaining about what they have being outdated. Yeah. It's like, bro. There's, that's a, a, there's a strong difference there. Oh, what yeah. they can use and what they actually yeah. have. I gotta take a piss. Okay. You do your thing. Goodness gracious. Well, while he's gone, if you guys in the comments have topics or conspiracy theory related things that you want us to explore in the future, that would be wonderful. We're kind of shooting from the hip here, and we know there's podcasts out there like Joe Rogan's that really dive into these things on great detail. They'll have authors of books and stuff. Cooper and I are just a couple guys shooting the shit, and I, but we have fun doing this. So if there's any topics that you find that could be of great interest that we could dive into, do some research on, introduce some facts, we'd be very interested to hear from you on it. I'm going to look up some things having to do with some pharma stuff that I wanted to bring to attention. I didn't talk the whole time, so I figured you'd cut it up, but... That's fine. Um, Cooper's back from his bathroom break. Yep. Everything went out good. Um, yep. No government vehicles out there. Good, good. I wanted to share with you something that I... A little bit. Okay. I wanted to share with you something that kind of um, crossed my mind um, in pieces, but I think I arrived at it this last week. Okay. And it just happened while I was driving. A few months ago, Roman, my buddy Roman, told me how when he's in Europe and you stop at a gas station, there's no abundance of Funyuns and candy and sweet tarts and stuff in these gas stations. Yep. It doesn't exist like that. Now, I didn't get a chance to follow up because he was kind of telling the story and it was amongst other people, but I wanted to be like, well, what is there then? Like, what snacks? I don't know if it's baked goods or a homemade sandwich. That'd be delicious. But the point he was getting at, there's not that garbage food in gas stations or, or stops in Europe. And I and so he told me that months ago. And then, you know, I've always had, you know, you've heard all these things come out recently about how the food pyramid that we grew up on is actually complete trash. It was ma- I think Kellogg's is who funded it. Yeah. And then we've had the Food and Drug Administration recently have come out and they said how a bowl of cereal was healthier than like it was an apple or something. Or red meat. Yeah, red meat is worse than a bowl of cereal. It's like, dude, it you don't have to be a wizard to read the ingredients on a box of cereal and understand that there are very mysterious things going on in there, right? 
And so something that happened within the last week was Donald Trump addressed um, something called Agenda 47. And it's his campaign to have a more in-depth conversation and do research about the increase in chronic childhood illness, whether it has to do with allergies or infertility, including and up to obesity. And he says, we're not having enough of a conversation about why it's happening. What are the root causes of these things, right? And so what I was kind of thinking, I heard that and it passed through my brain. And then a few days go by and I'm, I'm applying more thought to it. And what's interesting and that I think is happening, and this is my theory, is because of the power of capitalism and money, the same way AI runs these number reports and it can do it faster than us, these companies have massive computing capabilities. And if they can do research on certain chemicals and certain things that are in our food, in our water, in our consumables, and they can put them in there, and they know that statistically X amounts or this many parts per million of this will generate a 20% possibility of said illness. Well, this said illness is treated also by people that are lobbyists or people that um, have stake in this game. If we're creating the illness for big pharma to introduce the medication, for doctors to, to give to the patient, and now we're creating illnesses that we can also cure, I think where I'm going with this is that it's all rocking and rolling in one circular money-making machine. And I don't think it's so far out that nobody said or thought that before, but it really came down to like we have increase in, in child obesity. And part of me for a long time wanted to, Cooper, blame the parents, blame the habits, blame the school, blame the, the you know, not really blame, but say there's all these factors but let's not let's you can't blame it on video games kids only want to be on social media and play video games these days it's like well but what you put into your body whether it's nutrient dense or not nutrient dense that's what you fuel your body with that's how you feed your brain cells and you share with me as we get walking in here that for the first time in however long we actually have an IQ drop in our um populace and i think it comes back to are you putting fuel in the machine that allows the machine to operate at its maximum horsepower, right? And so when we have a, a, a system where we're putting these chemicals, and then you may get the reports that say, well, pure approved research says that this amount is not going to hurt you. I don't know if I have the faith in it to, to follow that thought process. Some foods that are banned in the European Union that we sell here, Skittles, Gatorade, those are not for sale in the EU because the dyes in them, red four, yellow 62, all that stuff have been known to link to childhood, you know, issues. And it's crazy. How come these are banned in other countries? But in our country, we're just, oh, Pop-Tarts. You know how many kids eat Pop-Tarts, Cooper? But there are things in Pop-Tarts that are banned in the European Union. That's scary to me. Because you have these brands in the United States that go, well, we make it. You can ban it. We've got 400 million people in our country that will eat this. And it's crazy. So that's kind of what I had arrived at over. And I don't think it's, it's groundbreaking in that sense. But it just really came full circle for me that it's all part of the same machine. Yeah, I fully agree with you. I think almost everything, I think 99% of things in a grocery store are poison. 
I don't think there's any way of avoiding it. I even have come to the same conclusion about fruit. I think fruit is genetically modified now to just be more sugar. And it is like people are like, oh, it's fruit. I'm like, yeah, but it's not what we used to eat. It's nowhere like that strawberry is nowhere near what it was when we started eating them. Those tomatoes, they're nowhere near. And even like tomatoes, people are like, oh, you got to eat this. These are good for you. I'm like, yeah, but they didn't have them till 1500 till we showed up in America. We didn't have corn till we showed up in America. Like my ancestors in Europe didn't eat any of this stuff. Yeah. And even when they did, it wasn't even close to the same. There's photos of them bringing bananas to the Netherlands in like 1920. Really? They never had them before. Wow. And guess what? They never needed them. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Crazy. They were getting potassium from plenty of other sources. Crazy how that works. Even when you walk through the grocery store, walk through your produce aisle. Smell. Does it smell like any fresh produce at all? Or does it just smell like cleaning supplies? It just smells like a grocery store. Even like open up like a box of strawberry, like a thing. Yeah. Of, does it even smell like anything? Yeah, I think you'd have to bury the strawberry right up your beak to get a smell it, of nature. It doesn't even smell, which is crazy yeah. to think that the genetic, like, because I agree with you, all of those are poison, but I think that's known. I think what people aren't realizing is like, yeah, so is the other stuff that you think is just grown out of the ground. Those are all genetically modified. Yeah. By companies like Monsanto that don't exist anymore because they've disbounded themselves. Mm-hmm. And there are laws. If you're a farmer, you cannot save your seeds from the year before and plant them. You have to buy seeds from the seed manufacturers. Oh, yeah. You're not like if they come and and they're proprietary. If they, they come test. to your if they test your crops and they are not their proprietary seeds. Or if they are their proprietary seeds and you didn't buy them, they're both wrong. They'll sue you. you. Yes. Yeah. So there's there's this crazy amount of, like, modification into even our fresh produce. And then obviously chicken's completely different. But, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody needs a gigantic chicken breast. But that's not normal. (laughs) No. No. I think, you know, there's like... You know, there's that documentary or that gentleman that was on. He's a one of the largest beef suppliers for Whole Foods, and he told me the whole. He told me, he told the internet, YouTube, the Whole Foods he used to provide beef for is not the Whole Foods he provides beef for today. Um, and going along the line of organic, grass fed, free range, they all mean very, very technically different things. And like you said, the genetic modification of strawberries. Sure, you might not spray those with as much pesticides, but it's genetically engineered to yield a sweeter fruit. It's de- genetically engineered yeah. to um, uh, to come to ripe, you know, it, to harvest three weeks sooner. They last longer in the grocery store. Yes. There is more sugar in them. Mm-hmm. There is less nutrients in them because people don't taste the nutrients. You want the sugar. Even tomatoes are overly sweet. Like, yeah. It's... It's that's how these things have been genetically modified. If you look up like what, you know, corn looked like when we first started cultivating it, completely different. Really? Watermelons, completely different. Well, think about like Native American corn. It's uh-huh. not just yellow. Oh, yeah. It's got black and different kernel yeah. colors. Yeah, that didn't right. look as nice. Yeah. It wasn't as pretty. Oh, you're right. Imagine if you had popcorn at the movie theater and they were a multitude of colors 
and then you have one black corn and a brown one. It's like, yeah. or it's all this perfect gold, buttery, glistening popcorn. Not one kernel's burnt. You've grown something in a garden, and when you grow a tomato plant or potatoes, they don't all look identical. No. Why the heck does everything look identical? Every pineapple looks the same. Every banana looks well, identical. There is usually variation. Yeah. Well, there's that company, that business called Imperfect Produce, that you pay a fraction of the price that you would in the grocery store, and they send you potatoes and tomatoes and stuff that aren't aesthetically pleasing. And so it's a business model that's called Imperfect Produce, the stuff that never makes the retail shelf, the Publix, the Walmarts, mm-hmm. the, the uh, Albertsons, whatever your grocery store is, Imperfect Produce will mail you produce at half the cost because it doesn't look aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. And so I think that's where it's coming from is like we need pretty perfect food for the market because I mean gosh, I bought avocados yesterday. I'm going based off of feel. I don't particularly care what it looks like, but I'm sure there's people like I've bought stuff that has imperfections, but I just have been cooking for myself for long enough to be like, "All right, who cares? It looks funky, but the this is the ripe avocado I need." But the person that is working at these places that make the seeds are the ones that are thinking about the bottom line. If they have to throw out 2% of things because they didn't get bought because they didn't look pretty enough, they will spend money to modify them to where that tomato plant grows every identical tomato. And if it doesn't, yeah. it gets changed until it does. Yeah. And through, you know, I think we're only at like 100 years of genetically modifying plants. We have changed them a lot. They oh, are yeah. scarily different. Even things like cabbage, like, didn't exist 100 years ago. It was, you know, changed over time. Yeah. So when people tell me, like, oh, you need these vegetables because you need them, they're good for you. I'm like, yeah, in the last 50 years? Yeah. It kind of kind of freaks me out a little bit. I get into this debate with Bronte all the time because she's like, you got to eat more fruit. I'm like, it's just sugar. It's just sugar and yeah. water. Yeah. I think what, what the differences of that type of sugar is your processed sugars, your fructose sugars, your corn syrups, things like that. Those are right? bad as well. Yeah. I mean, those are far worse. Would I rather have a, like for a health related thing, would you rather have a waffle or an apple? An apple is much more nutrient dense. And I agree with you, they are modified. But I think at the end of the day, you can't argue that that's not a healthier snack choice. Yes, it's full of sugar, but that's I think why- if you gave those two options, yes. But I think if you ignored both of those options. Well, what would you eat? Give me a healthy snack, Cooper. Well, first off, every fruit I think is just more sugar than any vegetable. So if you at least eat like some vegetables, some Mm -hmm. legumes are better, meat, or eat and don't snack. Yes. That's a key as well is you're not a child. You don't need a snack in between mealtime. That's true. You eat your meal, mm-hmm. you know, some potatoes, meat, and maybe a green. Yeah. And move on. If you think that you need a half of a pineapple, something that how many humans before us even ate, yeah. and suddenly you think that that's needed in your diet, you're yeah. crazy. That's so true. <laughs> oh, gosh. Like my, gran- my great-grandfather probably never saw a pineapple. And and he had 20 kids. That poor deprived man. <laughs> I'm over here having a pineapple pizza tonight, you know? That's what I mean. Yeah. So I'm like, to when people try to tell me that this stuff is needed for a healthy life. Yeah. I'm like, since when? Yeah, that seems very new. We've been on this planet for thousands of years, maybe longer. And there's, you know, 
there's a good chance. I mean, if you go to markets in other countries, dude, we are so fortunate in America that we actually have supermarkets where we can go and find all the things that we need in one store. Um, other countries, dude, it just doesn't work like that. You shouldn't be able to. Yeah. You should not be able to go into the grocery store and 24-7 every day of the year, Always. those things are in season. That's not how it works. Yeah, that's crazy. That's not how it is supposed to work. Yeah. Things are seasonal for a reason. Yeah. You're very right, man. It's weird. Yeah, it definitely brings uh, your your brain to the the space of like, man, I, I am just a, a, a tick mark on a checklist. It's like I'm part of the system. But, I mean, at what point do you go, all right, I'm not – I'm boycotting this? There's no escaping it. There's no escaping it. No, there's no it. escaping it. You're, you're stuck, and that is obviously systematically designed because it's the same thing of like people thought they could escape by like avoiding potato chips. Yeah. Oh, well, you're not going to. Yeah. It doesn't work like that. No, I think what I've gotten to in my life is when you take a look at these conspiracies as a whole, I mean, this information, some of this isn't even conspiratorial. I think what we just talked about, the fruit, that's fact. Like, that's proven. We know these things are in our fruit. We know you can harvest strawberries, press them into juice, extract, like, the particulates, and then respray the crops again because there's enough pesticides in the and you could spray the crops again and still have a pesticide free product like that's proven and what i've determined for me in my life is that i just aim to lead a healthy enough lifestyle that allows me to enjoy indulgences but maintain a level of overall well-being whether that's through the form of exercise um intake of water um eating appropriate nutrient dense foods i think getting back to more naturally produced stuff is very important, but more so than that, having a, a protein, a grain, and a simple carb um, n- not diluted with all this stuff is very important. I would say when I feel the best, when I'm at my best version of myself in, in, in work, it comes with my days being started where I just have eggs for breakfast. I go to three hours. I have a small container with about four to six ounces of a beef a chicken, a turkey, and then some veggies and some rice. Like that is, I feel my body has the most energy under those circumstances. And I learned this when I was 18 years old, 17 years old. I got my very first job at a Wendy's. For the first six months of this Wendy's, you bet your boy was walking past them nuggies. I was dipping and I was tripping and sipping on all the sodas. I had French fries. I'd have a frost. I worked there. You just grate a frosty cup, walk over the fries, grab some fries, smash them in there, snack done in the trash, next order. Six months of that. Then one day, for whatever reason, I said, I'm going to go on soda free. I was soda free. What I ended up finding out was on these eight or 10 hour shifts on only water, not a sip of soda, because that's what was killing me. You just walk up to the soda machine, kick back some Dr. Pepper or some uh, orange soda, and you're back to work. It's tasty. You got a little pep in your step. I found I had more energy. I felt better. I was less groggy by having water for the entire shift. That's when I started doing things like, wait a minute. We had grilled chicken breast. We also had salads. I was putting two grilled chicken breasts on a salad. Now, granted, this is Wendy's, highly processed food, but I found a healthier way to eat while I was there. But that was the first time I realized, oh, my God, just water helped my energy level and my productivity and my overall strength immensely. Yeah, I completely would see that as a fact. And, yes, even, like, I would venture to say your salad – probably was questionable looking as well. If you look at a head of lettuce and then you see a pack of lettuce, 
They don't even smell. The same thing. Yeah. Like lettuce feels fake. Once yeah. you start looking at it, you're like, this is just like a, I don't know. It's weird. It is weird. And, Let's, and um, one more thing. So yeah, the conspiracy side of it, when the Dust Bowl happened in the 20s, the government decided that it was on the farmers. It was their fault. So they forced purchases of farmland. So they used a natural disaster to force farmers out of their land, blaming them for creating this dust bowl that wow. That at the time, a lot of it you could just tell people in New York, hey, there's a dust bowl. You know, it doesn't yeah. actually, like, at that time, how easy is it to not, pro- like, you can't get proof. You can't. Yeah, there's not a bunch of, I mean, information was, a, it was a commodity then. That's why there's newspapers and things like that. Um, now information is much more accessible. It's just the problem for me is finding information that is legit. It's so hard. The The lemon story, I could look up 10 good reasons for lemon, 10 bad reasons for lemon. It's like, no matter which side of the bed you woke up on, you could find supporting or counter arguments for just about every single thing out there right now. And it's very concerning because how do you – I'm bringing a kid into this world. Like it's tough to go and go, okay, I got to set foundational guidelines. I want to live a life that you look at me and go, well, my father did this or this is how we ate or this is the world that I grew up in. It's like it's so hard because information may came out t- 10 years from now that may make me the stupidest parent during my kids' adolescent years. I don't know. It's scary. Yeah, that's a tough one for sure. And yeah. I think the food is definitely a – because, you know, it's 90% of what they'll be oh, like. Yeah. I think food is like 90% of what you'll be like dealing with is like all of your ailments, all of your issues, your diabetes, your – everything that you're going to be getting is from what we're eating. Oh, yeah. And how we're drinking water and filtering water. Absolutely. All right. What do you have for us? I got, got one. one. I got one. Okay. Maps. Maps. Okay. Maps that were back from the 1500s. I like it. Maps from the 1600s. Yeah. They show Antarctica on their maps in great detail. And then from years of 1700 to, you know, late 16s to the 1800s when all of a sudden so-and-so discovers Antarctica. How come we have maps 300 years prior that show Antarctica in the map? You mean to tell me that maps were passed on and it just fell off of when people redrew them? That's like saying when the Roman church or, uh, the uh, you know, back when um, Martin yeah. Luther King, the, the first one, was, re- you know, rewriting the Bible in, into Latin. It's like, did he forget a whole chapter? Maybe there's more Bible out there that he just goes, oh, oops, I forgot. How is Antarctica rediscovered? Okay, then we get into the aspects of how Antarctica was put on a travel ban. People can't go travel to Antarctica. In the early years, you were able to travel to Antarctica. There was Antarctica expeditions for tourism and pictures. Some of those pictures have been leaked. There are monoliths. There are what appear to be um, inscriptions in stone. There what appears to be actual pyramids in Antarctica. Crazy how something can fall off of map when we have like Christopher Columbus and the the explorers of that time in the 1400s, 1500s, traveling far and wide, uncovering new territories, and then it's off the map. How? Why? Yeah, there's a lot of interesting things. One of the islands is called, like, Rothschild Island. 
off the coast of Antarctica, like right there, get one of the, like the first that you get to. Yeah. Um, there is like nothing that the whole world agrees on besides the Antarctica Treaty. Like we're in a really? treaty with China, Russia, Japan, really Brazil. All these countries somehow have a treaty about that when they can't agree on anything else. Hitler had many, many, many expeditions there. They really? were the Nazis were heavily exploring into yeah. the South Pole. I remember they wanted to make it a base. They wanted to militarize the South Pole. Yep. And but when you see that it's like you have these situations where it's like you see again coming to current times of of the revelation of, you know, alien life forms. Where is this information? I mean, there's information out there of whistleblowers saying like, yeah, we have pictures of the dark side of the moon. I've seen the structures that are on that side of the moon, et cetera. It's like, my gosh. And it's like, I didn't know about that treaty. Do you have any more information, like what the treaty was based on? Or I know that it's a treaty of exploration of like who's able to control it, how you're able to explore it, like what you're able to kind of have come out about the explorations. There's very few people there at all times. Mm -hmm. Even like what they study there is very weird. They don't normally study the ice in the ground. They normally study the oxygenated ice that falls out of the sky. It's called blue ice. Wow. It's very weird stuff going on there. Yeah. And I don't think we're fully in a, aware of what goes on down there. And I think there may be more towards the middle of it than just a cold desert. Yeah, it's very possible. It's very possible that, you know, um, I believe that there's been situations in this Earth's existence where we've been impacted, whether by external or extraterrestrial or natural forces, whether it's a meteor or whatever, that has reversed or changed the location of our poles. And that could very well have to do with why there may be markings down there. Maybe 10,000 years ago, our poles were in different spots. And now the pole, our magnetic north and south pole, are now in spots of the Earth that were inhabited. And maybe the temperature and climates were drastically vastly different. What if our pole... The North Pole or the South Pole previously was in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Well, I'm sure due to the temperature, it would have all froze, right? And you'd have this huge landmass, hence the Ice Age. But if the poles shift and now that melts, land rises, but now the pole is over this body of this continental mass that used to be inhabited. Now it gets so cold, everyone dies off. Now you have these structures down there. So part of the reason they may not letting us explore there is because they have hundreds of thousands, like a mass grave of an entire civilization that they don't want to be like, yo, we've uncovered this, but we found out why. And it's not something the public should be privy to. That's a theory. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely very, very likely. I think you can escape the Earth's magnetic field a little bit better if you're on the dead center of the magnetic pole because you've all seen how like yeah that picture it borealis is kind of around us and then yeah. there's just like yeah there's gaps in the ozone up, and i don't think anybody would see what you're doing i don't think anybody oh, pays yeah. attention to what you're doing it's true it's kind of just hidden down there yeah if you wanted to run experimental um you know you know inner inner celestial campaigns expeditions where would you do it where nobody's going to pay attention to you taking off? We'll do it in negative 40 degrees Celsius weather. Yeah. Do it in the coldest place. And if you can manufacture equipment to do that 
outstanding. Go for it. Who's to say this underwater, um, you know, life form, you know, these UAPs that we've seen come in and out of the water, where would their above ground base be? Do they need above ground things, oxygen, air, sunlight? Why couldn't it be down there? Why couldn't it all be just a, I mean. Well, you ever see like a, a spaceship take off and there's ice falling off the sides of it? Yeah. That is because they have to cool down the fuel that much. Oh, yeah, you're right. Oh. They are obligated to cool the fuel oh, shit. so much that it is frozen on the outside of a spacecraft. Yeah, in the Kennedy Space Center in Florida in the summer. Yes. <laughs> Where it's hot. And they decided to do it from the equator. We launch pretty much everything from the equator, either yeah. in Texas, yeah. on the uh, San Pablo Islands down yeah. there, or whatever they are, that Elon Musk owns, which is really weird because it's on the border of Mexico. Seems mm-hmm. like a weird spot to... Yeah. Seems dangerous there, but... Yeah. And no. then we launch them from That's crazy. the space coast of Florida. I didn't think about that. And, and hyper-cool fuel. Cold weather, less dense, less drag, max Q would be less... I mean... There's really no rotation of the Earth there either. Rotation of the Earth doesn't really play a part in it because you're kind of just doing this. Yeah, you're on that like 12-degree angle or the 20-degree angle or whatever it is. Well, like on its axis. On its axis, yeah. You are the axis. So you're always kind of facing the same direction down. Yeah. Like if you launch from the equator, you're sometimes pointing at the sun, sometimes pointing with the moon. Mm Mm-hmm. But if you're at the bottom, you're kind of just always twisting. Yeah, you're just kind of spinning, like on this chair. If I just spun around in a circle, it's like you're I'm always going to be looking at the same thing. Yeah. Oh gosh, it's so deep and and disturbing and fascinating. I mean, that's why the conspiracy candles lit. That's why we got the hats. That's on. why we're out here today. I mean, yeah, because this is fun stuff to talk about. Yeah, it definitely um definitely gets interesting. Down it there. does, dude. I'm fascinated. And like, I want to become, and, and when you stepped out, I was telling the fans at home, I was like, Hey, if you guys have some more stuff, like, remember we're just Cooper and spice, but if you got something, we'll explore it. We'll get our computers out and we'll dive deep and we'll just see what kind of wild shit you and I can come yeah. up with. You know, let's make up a conspiracy right now. Just let's see what we can come up with off the top of our head. Unfortunately, I've lived by the, um, fact is crazier than fiction. Mm. So I don't think we could come up with anything that's crazier than actual facts that that's, happen. Hey, that's true. Like, oh, um, there's a, you know, a sex cult in the Hollywood that preys on children. Oh, darn, that one's already taken. Yeah, that's already <laughs> real. Yeah, exactly. Darn it. I got a theory for you. If you have a shot of vodka and it's 40% alcohol, they say you can consume one and a half ounces of liquor an hour and still maintain sobriety enough to j- drive a vehicle. But if you have two shots of vodka, now you've had 40% alcohol shot and another 40% alcohol shot. Therefore, you have 80% liquor in your system. If you have another 40% alcohol shot, now you've had 120% liquor in that hour, you're 120% intoxicated. Oh, shit. <laughs> Dang, dude, math is mathing. Bro, right? 5% beer, 10 beers in an hour. Yeah. You're 50% fudged up. Yeah, I mean, if you pour all those in one bucket, you know, but it's, it's a, a five. But it's a 5% alcohol plus a 5% yeah. alcohol. Now you have 10% alcohol. That's, that's definitely an interesting one. I actually have a, a similar crazy math theory where race cars will eventually be the key to time travel. 
hear me out. As as we get faster and faster, at what point do we get so close to zero that <sighs> someone has to figure out like you're you're now, you know, five years from now, we've been sevens, sixes, fives are getting pretty common, fours. Eventually, somebody's gonna be like, that guy went oh point oh three. I gotta go a little faster. And suddenly, your tuner now has to figure out. (laughs) Oh, my God, Cooper. That's brilliant. (laughs) Something will eventually be faster than a nitro funny car. That's what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, something's always going to be faster. Like, we're always going to be working to go faster. And, you know, 10s used to be fast. Now, 7s are getting not fast anymore. Yeah. 6s are pretty common. Yeah. So The distance isn't getting any shorter. We are getting faster. Okay, let me ask you this, though. Okay, I see what you're saying. That's in drag racing. So we know that I could have a rocket-propelled um, vehicle that could get me to the quarter mile faster. Yeah. But my rundown, we need to do it on the Bonneville Salt Flats because my rundown space needs to be three miles. Uh, yeah, but let's still use eighth mile. Okay, okay, okay. So now you're still trying to go faster and faster in the eighth and mile. Stop. At some point, somebody's going to go 1-0 seconds. I mean, it. It's inevitable. In mathematical, like, if you look at how much faster we've gotten over X amount of years, okay, somebody's eventually going to go 1-0. That's so true, dude. And then somebody's going to be like, oh, I need to go 0.9 to beat him. And then, oh, my You God. can only chip away at it for so long. There is a bottom. 0.00. Is the bottom the limit that the human body can make like how much can the human body accelerate in g-forces before it's mush if you go point if you go 1.2 in the quarter mile the g-forces to accelerate you to that is that might be where we get some limitation okay so let's talk about rc cars okay suddenly they're rc cars there's not a person in it where do we find a bottom well, the bottom. 0.0, like if it's a drone where you're not actually driving it, okay. at some point we're going to try to be faster. Well, yeah, we're trying to be faster every year. And right now you got, you know, Tony Stewart going 400-something, 500 miles an hour in the eighth mile doing like, what, four seconds? Yeah. Um, that, you're right. If it goes to a unmanned drag racing car and with sim racing – you're in a sim, you drag, you have none of the effects, none of the risk. If we have no more human element, let's talk about the drag racing deaths that have happened in Funny Car and Top NHRA. There are limitations to the motors that are for the safety of the driver and the team, right? There's been people that have died doing that sport, and these implementations are there now. What if you removed the human being, you did sim drag racing, and now you had an unlimited class? No restrictions. Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy because this is, like, obviously somewhat joking, but, like, at some point yeah. we are going to find yeah. a limit on drag racing. And people thought on radials the limit was, you know, nine seconds. And then suddenly you got people doing drag and drives going 650s. Yeah. It does, like, the limit, if, if you tell a drag racer there's a limit, they're going to prove you wrong. Oh, yeah. But at what point do you get to be, like, where... It's like that. Holy like, cow. At some point, you're going to almost be like, you blink and you miss it. Yeah. I don't know if that's good, bad, or whatever, but, like, this this theory is stolen from 
a Rubik's Cube theory where they have gotten so much faster over time that oh, yeah. they are almost at a point where it's it's like you're you're almost towards that like right where you're almost at a negative. And then what? <laughs> and then yeah. What is it? You beat the Rubik's Cube? We're done advert marketing Rubik's Cube tournaments. But like once you're at negative numbers, then you're talking about time travel. Yeah, you're right. Oh my gosh, Cooper. It's pretty crazy. That's crazy, because if you could arrive at the finish line before you start, yeah, that's time travel. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm trying to say. And things don't, like, you wouldn't hear it, but, I mean, we're obviously talking about something like a railgun at that point, yeah. basically, with yeah. a pilot. Yeah. <laughs> but then you're breaking the sound barrier. I mean, there's, but you're, I get, you're right. What is the floor? When do we arrive at? Okay, eventually someone's going to go twos, threes, ones. Okay, so how about this for an idea? Okay. So if I go drag racing, do I have to, like, do the rules say I have to have everything with me at the finish line? What if I pull up into the beams, stage up, and then something launches me? And then there's, like, a still, like, a thing on the starting line. Like and I'm ex- just, traction's not an issue. I just got slingshotted out. Oh, And I'm so just scary. kind of in this, like... A capsule. No a motor. Bullet. No motor. No nothing on this thing. Yeah. Besides just an aerodynamic bullet that I just got launched out of. Yeah. Like so got- a railgun using electromagnetic currents, you could proceed, like, depending on the power. Oh, my gosh. How much power? What if you could connect a cord, like a plug-in, to a gigafactory, and all the power simultaneously gets exerted on that? But you would turn into mush. Like, you got to understand the G-forces on the body, it would be... Hundreds, like you would not exist in the form you exist today. Yeah. So there's a limitation the human body can, which leads us to why these UAPs are so impressive is because they are gravitational fields that warp gravity and time, allowing it to be sucked into the space it wants to fill and control its direction. That's why the like a human could r- roll around in these um, UFOs or UAPs because the effects of gravity. So you would have to have one of those in your drag racing vehicle so that the human could live. So I would almost have to be air mask in a vacuum canister with a steering wheel. Or the 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 propulsion is in your capsule but it has wheels. Yeah. And so I, it I just imagine, like, the situation where you're like, to your tuner, that guy went 001. The <laughs> only way we can beat him is add more numbers to the time. Is if we can <laughs> go negatives. <laughs> he went triple O in the quarter. Triple O. <laughs> the only way we can get him is if we can go negative <laughs> Oh, yeah. one. He went to the 12 power point oh, uh, you know. Exactly. You need a phys- physicist winning a Nobel Prize to tune your hot rod <laughs> all at the same time. <laughs> Dude, that's so, that's so, I like that one. Let's expand on that next time, man. That's I a think, pretty fun. Uh, yeah. Maybe we could draw up some uh, blueprints with a crayon and we, you and I will be the fastest men on earth. <laughs> 
from this podcast. <laughs> yep. Well, if anybody is a physicist and wants to uh, explore that a little bit, but we'll probably wrap it up yeah. there. I'd say that's about good. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for uh, watching, hearing us out. That was the ultimate level of narcissism, I think, that people like that. I that we think that somebody actually cares about that to me is ultimate level. I, I think to do anything like this podcasting, you have to be narcissistic yeah. and think that people care about your thoughts and opinions. It's true. And it's it's nice to at least be self-aware enough to know that that's yeah. a key I, to this. I'm a self-proclaimed idiot. I'm probably the dumbest person within 100 miles of here, maybe further. But I think I might be one of the smartest dumb people because I know I'm dumb. Oh, there are dumb people that don't know they're dumb, but I know I'm dumb. Pretty heavy. All right, guys, we'll yeah. leave it off there. Thank you for watching. We'll see you next time.